0: Well, today is Amazing Grace Sunday, and earlier in our worship celebration this morning, we sang that great old hymn, Amazing Grace, and in so doing, we joined with thousands of other churches across North America this morning in singing that hymn, and we sang it in recognition of the 200th anniversary of the end of the slave trade throughout the British Empire, See, it was 200 years ago that a member of Parliament in Great Britain named William Wilberforce won a victory of sorts when after a couple of decades of proposing law and being defeated and re-proposing it, a law was finally passed that put an end to the legalized slave trade throughout the British Empire. But his fight wasn't finished then. He continued to fight for a couple more decades until slavery itself was made illegal throughout the empire. But Wilberforce himself had been influenced by another man, by a man named John Newton. John Newton was the mentor for William Wilberforce. And maybe you recognize John Newton's name. You see, Newton was a composer of that hymn, Amazing Grace. Now, earlier in his life, John Newton himself had been a slave trader. He had captained a ship that was participating in the trade. But during a storm at sea one time, he experienced what he called a conversion experience and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And as he continued to pray and as he looked into the Bible and as his his relationship with Jesus grew, he began to understand that all men were, were created equal and that slavery was against the standards of God. And so he became an outspoken opponent of slavery. And his teachings influenced Wilberforce and his policies and his beliefs And through Wilberforce and through his efforts, slavery was ended. And so today, because today is Amazing Grace Sunday in in celebration of the end of the slave trade and the freedom that brought to the slaves, to those who had been slaves, I thought that we would talk about freedom here this morning. You see, it was for freedom that William Wilberforce fought for nearly five decades against slavery. It was for freedom that Abraham Lincoln in the U.S. split his country with civil war. In the U.S. in 1843, it was for freedom in opposition to slavery once again that a man named Orange Scott left the Methodist Episcopal Church and formed the Wesleyan Methodist Church, which eventually became the Wesleyan Church, which is our heritage. It was for freedom that this new denomination became leaders in the Underground Railroad. It was for freedom that four years after the founding of this denomination, a Wesleyan church called Freedom Hill Church was built in North Carolina, the first, church, the first Wesleyan church to be built in the South, and that church began proclaiming freedom for sinners and slaves alike. It was for freedom that the 23-year-old pastor of that church, Adam Crooks, and the congregation of that church became the target of abuse. Crooks was attacked by mobs, he was threatened with lynching, shot at repeatedly, poisoned twice, and unlawfully imprisoned all because of his stance against slavery. It was for freedom that Canadian soldiers fought and died in wars in places like Vimy Ridge. It was for freedom that Martin Luther King Jr. organized the Freedom March, spent time in jail, and eventually was assassinated. It was for freedom that William Wallace led the Scottish resistance against the English. It was for freedom that the ancestors of many of us here this morning came to Canada and started a new life. And more important than any of those, it was for freedom that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left his home in heaven, was born of a virgin, lived on this earth for 33 years, and died on a cross. For freedom, yours and mine. But what kind of freedom? Well, in in the passage that Bev read for us earlier from Romans chapter 6, it talked about freedom from slavery. Any slaves here this morning? Anyone tired of being owned and bought and sold by other people? Tired of having a master? No, to my knowledge, there are no slaves here this morning. I mean, I know there are 27 million slaves around the world. More than any other time in history, there are still 27 million slaves around the world. But I don't think there are any of of those slaves here with us this morning. Which kind of makes that passage irrelevant to us, doesn't it? I mean, if I'm not a slave and you're not a slave and we don't know any slaves, who really cares? Proclaiming freedom for slaves really doesn't affect us. Kind of like some laws. You know how sometimes there are laws that get on the books that make no sense or that are there for so long that they're completely out of date to the point that they're irrelevant? Like in British Columbia, it's illegal to kill a Sasquatch. Now, I'm not saying they don't exist, but that law is kind of pointless until they find at least one. In Alberta, businesses must provide rails for tying up horses. In Toronto, it's illegal to to drag a dead horse down Yonge Street on a Sunday, which would imply to me that it's perfectly fine to drag a dead horse down Yonge Street Thursdays at 5 o'clock. In Alberta, it's illegal to set fire to the wooden leg of a wooden-legged man. In Alaska, the law says you can't look at a moose from an airplane. The city of Guelph, is classified as a no-P zone. Okay, I'm not really sure why that's on the list. If I lived in Guelph, that would be very relevant. Um, It's against the law to mispronounce the name of the state of Arkansas in that state. In Memphis, Tennessee, a woman is not to drive a car unless a man warns approaching motorists or pedestrians by walking in front of the car that's being driven. I have no comment about that. Uh, Also in Tennessee, though, it's against the law to drive a car while sleeping. I'm so glad they have that law. In Kentucky, it's the law that a person must take a bath once a year. In Malaya, it's against the law to dance on the back of turtles. In Australia, a life sentence is 200 years. In Kansas, there's a law that reads, when trains meet at a crossing, both shall come to a full stop and neither shall proceed until the other has gone. Dueling is illegal in Uruguay, unless, of course, both parties are registered blood donors, in which case it's encouraged. You, know, you go Uruguay and I'll go Mayaguay. In Nicholas County, West Virginia, there's a law that says that no member of the clergy is allowed to tell jokes or humorous stories from the pulpit during a church service. So I guess we're done with this list, but there are a lot of laws that seem pretty irrelevant to you and me, don't they? Just like here in PEI in 2007, it might seem irrelevant to proclaim freedom for slaves. We're about two centuries too late on that in terms of the legalized slave trade. But then, it wouldn't have been all that relevant to people that Paul was writing to either. I mean, those verses that we looked at earlier from Romans chapter 6, Paul wrote those verses to people who were already free. At least most of them would have been. You see, those verses came from the book of Romans in the New Testament. And that was a letter written by Paul to the believers in the city of Rome, to the believers in the church there. That's why it's called Romans. Now, at this time, Rome was, of course, a Roman province, and any Romans living there were already free. There wouldn't have been a whole lot of Jews there, although there would have been some, because the Jews, uh, the Christian Jews scattered throughout the... Uh, the Roman Empire, when persecution began in Israel. uh, But the Jews who were there may have felt oppressed by the Romans, but they weren't slaves, at least most of them wouldn't have been. So I don't know if there were any or many slaves at all in the Roman church. But I don't really think that's what Paul was referring to anyway. And if you looked at that passage in Romans chapter 6, then you already know what Paul was referring to. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, let's take a look at another passage. Let's take a look at a passage from the Gospel of John. And here Jesus is talking to a crowd of people who have been following him and have, have been listening to him teach. And it says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And here's the response. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Okay, let's just pause right there for a second. Now, whoever asked that question there must have slept through history class. He obviously had never heard of Egypt or Moses or the Passover or the Exodus or the Babylonians or Daniel. What's he doing here claiming that that the the descendants of Abraham had never been slaves. They had most certainly been slaves at various points in their history. But let's forgive his ignorance and let's move on. Doesn't really matter because that's not the kind of slavery Jesus was referring to anyway. He was just using the word slavery as a metaphor to give them a concept of what he was really talking about. So what, what was he referring to? Let's see. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth everyone who sins is a slave of Sin. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. So when Jesus talked about slavery here, he wasn't talking about being considered the physical property of another person. He was talking about living in bondage. Just like a slave lives in bondage to his master, we're all born in bondage to sin. And in that passage in Romans chapter 6, that's what Paul was saying too. Looking at verse 6 and verse 14, it says, We're no longer slaves to what? We're no longer slaves to sin. Sin is no longer your master. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Slaves to sin. What is sin, anyway? I mean, there are all kinds of things that we call sin, but they're not really sin. What is sin? Well, here's my understanding of what sin is. Sin is that self-centered, rebellious streak within each one of us that wants to replace God with ourselves. It's us wanting to be in control. All these other things we call sin, greed, lust, envy, jealousy, hatred, stealing, lying, cheating, adultery, those aren't sin. They're not sin. They're symptoms of sin. They're the outward expression of the, the disease of sin within us. And it's that sin which enslaves us. You know what? We live here in Canada and we enjoy freedom here. The problem of the modern day illegal slave trade aside, you and I live in freedom. People fought and died for the freedom that we enjoy. In fact, we've enjoyed our freedom for so long that we've become climatized to it. The, that word freedom no longer strikes us as being a marvelous, wonderful, beautiful concept. It's become just another word, just a collection of vowels and consonants. And yet, despite this freedom, there are millions of Canadians today who are slaves. They're living in bondage to sin. Oh, they enjoy their external freedom, the benefits of their political freedom and the rewards of their economic freedom. But yet, they are slaves. Slaves just as surely as if they were black Africans in Atlanta, Georgia 150 years ago. Slaves, just as Onesimus was a slave 2,000 years ago, except for most, they don't even realize it. They don't recognize how sin has mastery over them, but it does. Here's how Paul described this kind of slavery. In Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 14, Paul wrote, The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But I know that what I'm doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's a sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do... I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's a sin living in me that's doing it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another law within me that is war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. That's how Paul described his bondage to slavery. And I got to tell you, I've been there. I've been in slavery. I know what Paul was writing about there, knowing what you want to do, knowing what is right to do, but not being able to do it. I've been in that cycle where you try to do what's right, but you inescapably find yourself back doing the exact thing you didn't want to do. But take a look at what Paul wrote next. He wrote, Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So with that in mind, let's talk about what it takes for you and me to live in freedom today. What does it mean to live in freedom? How can we enjoy that freedom? Well, if I want to be free from the rule of sin in my life, I must first of all Choose where my loyalties lie. You will have a master. The only question is, which will you choose? Will you choose to live according to your sinful nature and allow it to have mastery over you? Or will you choose the better way? Will you choose to live your life for God? Will you choose to live to please Him? Going back to Romans chapter 6, Paul wrote, Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So Paul says there is a choice you have to make. If you want to be set free from the rule of sin, that's where you need to start. Make a decision. Are you tired of being enslaved to every temptation that comes your way? If so, then cross the floor and and align yourself with God's side. If you refuse to make that choice, then by default, you're choosing to stay in bondage to a life of sin. So you need to choose. But as we've already seen, that's not enough. It's not enough to just decide that you want to be free. Paul chose where his loyalties were, but he still found himself trapped in that cycle of doing what he didn't want to do and not being able to do what he wanted to do. He had to make that choice, yes. He had to decide where his loyalties were. But there also had to be more to it than that. And Paul discovered what it was. He had to depend on the power of God. That's letter B. If I want to be free from the rule of sin in my life, I must depend on the power of God. You see, we're all born as slaves to sin. And no matter how hard we try, we can't break free, it's beyond our capability. We're in bondage. And Jesus Christ, who is God, is the only one who holds the key that can unlock those chains and set us free. He can uphold you and strengthen you and help you to resist temptation so that you don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. Jesus told his disciples this in Luke chapter 22. He said, pray that you will not be overcome by temptation. And that's good advice. It was good advice for the disciples and it's good advice for you and for me today. Pray that you will not be overcome by temptation. Depend on the power of God. We can't overcome temptation ourselves, so let's pray that God will intervene and protect us and keep us from sin. In the New Testament book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 24, it says, And now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from stumbling, and who will bring you into his glorious presence, innocent of sin, and with great joy. Yesterday I was watching TV and a commercial came on that I had never seen before. Let me show it to you. Okay, that commercial you just saw was from Pardon Services Canada. Now what happens if you're a convicted criminal who's granted a pardon? Your crime is no longer held against you, right? It's as if you never did it. You're granted an exemption. You're declared innocent doesn't mean that you're actually innocent. You've done the crime, but you've been pardoned. You're treated as if you are innocent. And that essentially is what God is able to do for you. All of the crimes, all of the sins that you've committed against him, he's willing to pardon you for them. He's willing to set them aside and declare you innocent. But he's the only one who's able to do that. Those of you here this morning who are living for Jesus... There was a time when you were guilty. Sin had mastery over you, and there wasn't a thing you could do about it. But then Jesus came along, and he cleansed you from that sinfulness. He pardoned you, and he declared you innocent. And now, he continues to provide you with everything you need to live a a sin-free life each and every day. He doesn't prevent temptations from coming your way, but he makes it possible for you to overcome them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says that he will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. And he goes on and says, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you will not give in to it. The point is, you can't do this yourself. You've got to depend on the power of God to make you free and keep you free. And let me just interject here. When you're faced with a temptation and God shows you a way out, like we're told in that First in 1 Corinthians, when God shows you a way out, take it. Don't see how close you can get to the fire. Get out of there. Alright, let's move on. If I want to be free from the rule of sin in my life, I must choose where my loyalties lie, I must depend on the power of God, and I must grow more like Jesus every day. The closer you get to Jesus, the more time you spend with him, the more you allow him to impact your life, the more you'll become like him. You'll begin to take on his character. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, it says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect. We become like Jesus. We reflect The glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. You see, our freedom depends on the ongoing work of the Spirit of God in our lives as He makes us more like Jesus. We need to allow Him free access to every part of our being, trusting Him to make us more like Jesus every day. And let me warn you of this. When you begin to resist what the Spirit of God is doing in your life and when you reject the transformation that He's working in you, that's when that self-centered rebellious streak within you begins to take control again. That's when you give up your freedom and you choose to become a slave to sin once again. Now, obviously, you don't want that to happen. So let me encourage you, commit yourself this morning to a lifelong journey of growing more like Jesus every day. And you know what, if you do that, and if you trust the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and if you respond in obedience to his promptings, I believe that it's entirely possible for you to live in freedom from sin. You never have to go back to it again. Through the power of Jesus Christ, you can have victory over that sinful nature. But let's be honest, for most of us, we're still prone to fail. We don't have to sin, but we still choose to sin from time to time. We give in in a moment of weakness. Now let me say it again. It's entirely possible for us to live a life free from sin because of the power of God working in us. But just being honest, no excusing it, just being honest, there are still times that we give in to temptation and and allow sin to rear its ugly head, aren't there? At least there are times like that for me. And because of that, we need to look at one more thing here. It would be nice to end with those those three. If I want to be free from the rule of sin in my life, I must choose where my loyalties lie, I must depend on the power of God, and I must grow more like Jesus every day. That's nice and sweet. It would be nice to end right there. But because of our propensity to, to give in to temptation and to continue to sin we need to add this. If I want to be free from the rule of sin in my life, I must get back up when I fall down. Listen, the freedom God offers is real. And I want you to understand that with Him, all things are possible, even living a sin-free life. But at the same time, I want you to know that there's hope and forgiveness for you when you do fail. God wants us to live a life of purity before him, and he expects that of us. But when we do fail, he extends a hand, not of condemnation, but of grace, to help us back up. In fact, Jeremiah the prophet in the Old Testament recorded these words. Jeremiah wrote in chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, this is what the Lord says, when people fall down, don't they get up again? When they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? then why do these people stay on their self-destructive path? They cling tightly to their lies and will not turn around. Is anyone sorry for doing wrong? Does anyone say what a terrible thing I have done? So what's God saying here? I think he's saying, get back up again. Rely on my power, he says, "and, and do your best to live sin free. But if you fall down, get back up again. Don't stay down wallowing in your sinfulness. He says, I'm offering you my mercy and my forgiveness and my restoration. Take it. That's what he says to you and to me today. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Peter, Thomas, all people like you and me who messed up. Some of them messed up big time. They sinned against God and they had to get back up. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, it says, The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. So, let me say it again. Don't fail. Don't give in to temptation. Don't sin. Don't do it. But if you do, get back up. Jesus came to set you free. To set you free from the power of sin. And it's a freedom that you can enjoy today. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to turn from your sinful way of life and instead choose by His power to live His way? That's a choice each one of us is faced with. And I want to challenge you this morning to answer that. Will you turn from your sinful way of life and choose to live by God's power in freedom beginning Today, well, today is Amazing Grace Sunday, and earlier in our worship celebration this morning.